Welcome to The Spartan Life, where we explore what it means to be a part of the Southern Lehigh family. And we attempt to cover all of the sweet, sweet goodness that is Southern Lehigh High School in 30 minutes or less. From first-hand coverage of exciting experiences, to intimate discussions with some of your favorite teachers, to inspirational interviews with diverse students on unique journeys. That's right, great students accomplishing great feats. We'll do our best to hit all of the highlights. But inevitably, we will fail. Because there's so much to celebrate, we're afraid your brains would simply melt if we tried to cover it all. We're your hosts. I'm Mr. Castagna. And I'm Mr. Howe. Join us as we venture into the heart of Southern Lehigh High School, one interaction at a time, on The The Spartan Spartan Life. Well, Mr. Howe, here we go with episode three. The introduction claims that we're going to do this in 30 minutes or less, and yet we're bringing in another episode that tests the boundaries of what we can do. Yeah, I, I was never any good at math, so 30 minutes, the number 40 is... Carry the one. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got nothing. Here. In any case, this is another overlong episode. We don't personally think that's a big deal, but if it's a turnoff for you listeners, please email us slspartanlife at slsd.org and tell us, man, when I see that it's a 45-minute or hour-long episode, I don't even bother to download it. Yeah, we'd like to hear what you think in general. So, you know, uh, always follow us on social media, uh, slspartanlife on Instagram and Twitter. Just let us know what you think of things. Speaking of social media, you may have noticed we have some cool cover art now. Yes, and I cannot thank Alex Becker enough for the work and time and effort that he put into designing all of that. We been meaning to shout that out to him for the last two episodes, but you know how things go. We just get to talking and forget. Not that Alex Becker needs an ego boost from us. (laughs) Not at all. If you've ever met him, you know he's got a very healthy ego. He also gets a mention later on in our news segment. His name came up a lot at our faculty meeting on the in-service day. Which probably may surprise some of you. Uh, In a good way. Uh, Basically, He was the generic name we threw out whenever we were talking about good students here at the high school. Yeah, of all the names. Yeah. Alex Becker. Alex Becker. Somebody dropped it once. We were talking about maybe senior privileges, and it was one of those cases where it's, well, you know all of your Alex Beckers are going to qualify for the privilege, but what do we do with the students who don't qualify and blah, 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 blah. And then anytime someone had to give an example of a positive thing that a student had done or a positive name, it was Alex Becker for the rest of the day. Yeah, the rest of the day. Like, I don't see him enough in class, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we should stop giving him this ego boost. (laughs) But thank you very much for the podcast cover art. That is courtesy Uh, of Alex Becker. We actually have made up for the fact that we didn't recognize him last week now by this extra long talking about him. Yeah, this feels like a good 10 minutes. I think so. I think we should move on. I think so, too. Last week, we hit you with a trivia question. The winner of the extra credit, here we go again, was Alex Becker. He was the first one to respond with an email identifying that be excellent to each other and San Dimas High School football rules, wild stallions. All of those quotes come from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Do you you remember what the name of the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's right. Very good. Excellent. Absolutely. Come on. That's an easy one. It was. Yeah, it was. In any case, you have to be the first person to respond in an email to get the extra credit or the prize that we are giving away. And listen for that trivia question later on in the episode. We're going to bury it somewhere in the middle. Be listening for it. It might even be in this upcoming news segment. What's going on? While students enjoyed a day off on Monday, October 8th, teachers spent their annual October in-service day attending meetings, viewing presentations, and partaking in a scavenger hunt. 
Highlights included Mr. David Long asking no fewer than 27 questions, Mr. Eric Steiner rolling his eyeballs dangerously back into his skull, and two podcast hosts returning late from lunch. Plus, senior Alex Becker's name was mentioned 12 times throughout the day, so if students were wondering if teachers actually talk about them in faculty rooms, well, we do. Said Mr. David Long about his propensity for asking questions at staff meetings. Albert Einstein once said, the most important thing is to never stop questioning. The Beatum Club spent a Spartan period leading the entire school in a box activity centered around compassion and understanding for the struggles and life experiences of those around us. Students and teachers affirm statements by stepping forward for descriptions that match their personal experiences and staying put when they did not. All in Ball found the activity to be eye-opening and informative, said the subject of today's trivia question. What's in the box? Be the first to identify that mystery man by contacting us at slspartanlife at slsd.org. And there's a prize coming your way. At the annual homecoming pep rally, senior Quinn Schmidt was crowned homecoming king in the aftermath of a dance-off for the ages, during which the juniors who put together a reenactment of the final routine from Dirty Dancing were clearly robbed of a victory. In an adorable turn of events, Quinn's girlfriend Colette Curry was crowned homecoming queen later that night. The whole endeavor began with an entertaining video segment that featured a we've heard this a thousand times before joke about Mr. Hershey's class being maniacally difficult, and culminated with Principal Beth Gariello doing the Kiki Challenge. Host Logan Edmund, Jack Doherty, and Mary Amasona knocked it out of the park. Said Mr. Lee Zeisloft upon realizing the microphones were actually going to work for a change. Anytime you keep Larry Fisher out of the back room where the microphones are, they are successful. They work really well. Students in Mr. Italiani's, Ms. Laney's, and Mrs. Cartouche's ninth grade civics classes canvassed the building last week in an effort to register students to vote in the upcoming midterm elections. As part of their final project, students aim to increase the percentage of voters among those aged 18 said freshman Lizzie Irish, who Mr. Castagna totally put on the spot when she entered his classroom to address a group of seniors. Getting people to register to vote for the first time was really hard, but now that we've done it, in the middle of the year, we're going to be doing it again, and hopefully it'll be easier and more people will want to vote. Next month, Southern Lehigh High School will present its fall play, Songs for a New World, by Jason Robert Brown. Unlike a typical musical where the show is connected by plot and characters, this show is organized by universal themes and musical ideas. Starring an ensemble cast of 17 students, including Allie Brown, Christian Kostnitzer, Colette Curry, Dean Pellegrino, and Michaela Schmid, Songs for a New World will grace our stage beginning November 1st, said Mr. Matthew Ware about the show. Come see it. It's good, and I need ticket revenue. And that's what's going on in the halls of Southern Lehigh. Join us next time when we barnstorm through more significant events taking place here at the high school. Until then, this is Mr. Castagna saying be kind to each other, and don't forget to laugh on occasion even if it's at the expense of a speech and debate coach who may ask too many questions. So you heard Mr. Ware, get out there, buy your tickets for Songs for a New World, happening on November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And enjoy what we have next for you. This is a conversation with Hunter Kane. Hunter is a senior at the high school who defies description. Her experiences run the gamut, and I think it's best if we let the interview speak for itself. Enjoy. We're talking with Hunter Kane, uh, and I wanted to interview Hunter because I would like to know how she fits all of the things that she does in her life into one 24-hour period, because I always feel like I don't have enough time to do the stuff I need to do, and she's involved in way more things than I am. But let's just start basic. Mr. Hauf, you've never met Hunter before, I have correct? not had the pleasure of having Hunter in class, no. So let's but go I've seen her around. That counts, right? She makes her presence known. 
So let's start really basic. Tell us about your name, because I know there's a bit of a story behind it. So when my parents, like, when I was, like, in the womb, I guess, my mom and my dad decided not to know my gender. Um, My dad was kind of hoping for a boy, but he just kind of said, like, if it was a boy, it'd be Hunter, and if it was a girl, it'd be Paige. But, like, as he kept saying Hunter Page, Hunter Page, and he kept saying Hunter Page, he just really liked the ring to it. So, like, when I was born, he just kind of said, like, Hunter Page came. And my mom was like, what? And she, like, freaked out. But in the end, I get a lot of compliments because of my name. And I think it's definitely unique in the sense that I've never met another girl Hunter. There is, like, I feel like I'm the only Hunter in my grade. And I'm also, like, the only girl Hunter in the school. You like that. You like having a unique name. Yeah, unique name. Yeah, that's cool. So your parents were thinking Hunter or Paige. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Paige. Was there a reason why, or they just I liked it? I think my dad just liked the name. Okay, because I feel like uh, as an English teacher, Paige might be a name I'd give yeah. to my daughter. Yeah. Because I like puns. <laughs> um, but Hunter is the more obvious choice because yeah. there is a long, proud tradition there of is. hunting in your family. Correct. Correct. Um, how did you get involved in hunting? And I know you had a very powerful experience getting your first deer. So tell us about that. I feel like. I feel like every, everybody's first year is a, pow, a powerful experience. Um, mine was really memorable because I waited such a long time. And I feel like hunting isn't something that a lot of people will just be like, oh, I just want to learn how to shoot a bow. I feel like I was definitely brought into it. Um, I've been doing hunting since I was like three or four. I'd go out in the deer stand. I would sit in, I would sit in a ladder stand, and my dad would get like a climber, which is like a ladder stand practically that you can just climb up a tree and just sit, but there's like no ladder to get up there. And he would put me in a tree and strap me in, and then he'd go over to the tree next to me, and he'd shovel up the tree and then just sit there, and we'd just wait there for hours. So you're in separate trees, you and your father. Yeah, I think I was like four or five. There's actually a picture of me like looking up at like a 50-foot ladder stand when I was like three or four. And I know, like, a lot of times, like, my dad would go hunting on Saturdays. I, I have a four-year-old. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I can fathom putting her in a 50-foot it tree stand. It was pretty terrifying. Foot, but there was, it was, like, Well, but still, feet. giving her any, um, well, weapon, for lack of a better term, yeah. is, is Well, that's what I want to know. Like, So you're in separate trees. Mm-hmm. He's armed and actually waiting for a deer, so you're watching real hunting. Yeah. We, are you armed? No. No, because no, at three or oh, four, okay. they didn't tell say, you how to like, fire okay. a gun. No, yeah. it's like at three or four, like, we, I do archeries on Monday, so we used to do archeries every Monday night, and they have, like, little bows there, and, like, we put, like, we blow up balloons, and we'd stick them on the target, and, like, it was kind of a cool thing to shoot, like, little balloons on special nights, and we'd go to the range, but, like, when, like, actually hunting, my dad would just put me in a tree, strap me in, and then he'd climb to the other one and just sit there. We actually have a deer mounted in our trophy room that's not necessarily, like, worth being mounted, but the only reason my dad mounted it was because I was there when he shot it. So that's kind of, like, a sentimental value that we have with that one deer. Like, it's, like, a six-pointer, but, like, we wouldn't normally mount a six-pointer because an eight-pointer is more bigger. Mm-hmm. So we'd mount that instead. How many, if I walked around your house, how many mounts do you have? What would I see? Like, in, besides deer... Because we have, like, pheasants. Oh, oh I was going to say, you're talking bear? Like, what, lion? What else are you hunting? I haven't bear yet. <laughs> um, we have, like, pheasants, squirrels, deer, turkeys. Like, we have a lot. In, in a single designated room or yeah, all over the house? Yeah, like, the trophy room, but it's also yeah. just, like, our living room. Do you, you ever see Ace Ventura when nature calls? Yeah, yeah he like walks into the trophy room, he's horrified, horrified, the camera spins everything. around, he's screaming. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it would be like in yeah. Hunter's house. Yeah. Okay, so at a very young age, you were exposed to it, and you got acclimated to it. Mm-hmm. When did you get that first deer? So I actually got my first deer when I was 15, which is a lot like later. Um, 
you can when you're a youth hunter you can actually shoot any size deer depending on like in PA we have uh, rack restrictions so you need to have um, at least three points on one side in order to shoot the deer so spike bucks button bucks you can't really shoot those but a lot of times people will shoot button bucks because they look like does because they don't really have a rack they just have like cute little buttons um but like I just wanted to wait because I knew like I wanted my first deer to be so special and like I also wanted it to be bigger than my sister's first deer <laughs> so like my sister shot her first deer when I was like 13 I was like I was so upset I was like she got one before I did and she shot hers with a gun though but I shot mine with a bow which is even more impressive because sure. it was the second day of archery season it was um, September 19th. I can remember it, like, picture perfect. I was actually running late to hunting, and I go to my grandparents' house because the bus drops me out of my grandparents' house, and they have a 53-acre farm that we hunt on, and she's right in my backyard, and, I like, I realized I didn't have any of my hunting clothes. So I called my mom, and I was like, Mom, I was like, you need to bring my hunting clothes right now. So, like, I just put, I was wearing, like, black black pants and black boots, so I just put on, like, a camo flannel, painted my face because my face is really white, so I painted my face, put my hair up, and I, like, ran out. As I'm walking out to the stand, there's doe everywhere. And I'm like, well, I can't walk this way. So then I walk all the way up this hill to wrap around, and there's a big buck that's sitting there. So now I'm like, great. Now what am I going to do? So I ended up just walking in the middle of this field. Now, it, was like, it, was like a tree, it was like a smaller tree field. I ended up walking in the middle of it, and then I go to the, we call it the 50-yard line, which divides the property perfectly in half. And there's a little patch there. So there's a field on my side, a field on that side, and a field behind me. So I'm, like, perfectly in the middle so I can shoot out of, like, my left or my right. And I was sitting there, and I want to say it just started getting dark. And these two really big eight-pointers came out. So I'm like, okay, this is it. So I, like, I slowly get up. I slowly, like, the way that I was sitting, I had to, like, slowly get up. So I, like, actually pushed my back. I pushed my back up against the tree, and I kind of, like, wiggled up a little bit. Because if I just stood up, they would have seen, like, quick movements they could pick up on. So I, like, rushed up the birch up the tree real quick and I just I was like okay which one am I gonna go for because I was like I never had this happen to me so I just like leaned back was breathing I was shaking a little bit and I slowly just pulled my release and then I just let the arrow fly it went through and through it went through its neck it's not necessarily the best shot you really shouldn't shoot the neck but it ended up shooting the neck and like cutting the jugular so it ended up he only walked like 10 or 15 feet and he just started like laying down but he started rolling so then I was like why is he rolling did I actually shoot him or not so now I'm like panicking so I called my dad I was so excited my dad was like he thought I fell, fell out of the tree he's like are you okay calm down you, you're not speaking English and he's like calm down because I was like crying and I was like worried he was gonna break the rack because he kept rolling I was like did I not shoot him and my dad goes, no, just leave him there. I don't want to chase a deer. So we just let him there. And my dad came running down the 50-yard line. He was like, you got one. I've never seen my dad cry, but his eyes kind of teared up. He was, like, all excited. And then my, my grandpa, he had to bring the golf cart down because my grandpa doesn't really walk around that often because he's getting older up in age. But, like, my dad once wanted him to be proud of me. So he's like, I don't think you're ever going to get a, a one as big as this one, kid. And he was proud of me. And it was, like, a good moment because, like, my grandpa was there. I was there. And my dad, like... It was like a good family moment of just butchering a deer in the garage. A good family moment good of family butchering moment. a deer in the garage. Yeah, uh, it sounds so country, right? And uh, even the way you, you you say the word hunting. Hunting. Yeah, because hunting, you fishing. knowing you from class, loving every day. Loving every day. Uh, you are articulate and you are intellectual, and there's an irony about the way you say that word. Like you have to say hunting, hunting. even though yeah, even I'm though like, you. I just say hunting. I feel like it's more like professional. Yeah, and you don't want it to sound professional. Yeah, just like down and dirty. Just say the I N. Yeah, but you're not all about 
stalking prey. Uh, you mentioned Bathgate and Donald, who are sort of your mentors here because you're an artist as yeah. well, right? I do like to draw. If I'm not drawing, I don't know what else. I like drawing at work. So, like, I work and, like, I'm a hostess. So when I'm not, like, taking tables or doing my job, I'll usually start doodling on a napkin or I'll look at a picture of a car because I love cars. I love automotives. So if I look at a car, I'll start drawing the car. Yeah, really great art piece that you were working on before we started this interview, this really, really cool-looking red car. That's very impressive. What are you driving these days? Uh, I alternate between my 91 Mustang and uh, 97 Jeep. Yeah, I like that Jeep. We went out for a how-to speech. Hunter showed us how to drive stick. And she had Skylar Walker get in, and we watched her kind of, like, stall out and, you know, lurch forward, and <laughs> yeah. she taught her how to do it. But it's your Mustang it. stick. Jeep yeah. is pretty cool. Every Excellent. Every vehicle in, my, in, like, in our fleet is stick. I, I think that's something every teenager should learn how to do, like, drive stick, it's because a, it's also, a lost art. Yeah. It really is. I think it's also hard, like, texting and driving, it's a lot harder, and I feel like it's more of a focus. Like, my mom, like, when I even first started driving, my mom was like, you do better in a stick shift car than you do in a regular car because you have to stay focused. She's like, you can't, like, there's no room for error. So, like, in an automatic car, like, you kind of, like, like doze off and stuff. Hmm. Like, sometimes I do that. Like, sometimes, like, even in, like, a manual car now that I've been driving for over a year and I've been driving a manual, like, sometimes, like, I'll forget that I'm in second gear and try to pull out out of a stop sign and stall. I'm like, oh, great. We all know that feeling where, like, you get where you're going and you go, how did I get here? Right. And you've, like, just blacked out for, like, the last, you know, five miles of the ride. Harder to do that with a manual transmission. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. If you really want to help the movement to get kids to stop texting while driving, force them to drive a manual yeah, that's transmission. That's right, manual transmission. Try to text while you're doing that. But cars aren't your only means of travel, your only mode of transportation. Yeah. You also fly planes? I do. So I fly a 152 Cessna. It has a 33-foot wingspan. small. It's like a little two-seater. You probably fly from here to, like, the beach in a day and go to the beach for a day or something. So... Um, I started flying when I was 13. I didn't start flying when I was 13. I, my first airplane ride was when I was 13. It was June 7th, I want to say. And my grandma saw this ad in the newspaper. My, my grandma loves watch, like looking at Penny Powers. And she was like, Quakertown Airport's having this thing where you're going to have like a free ride and stuff in an airplane. So like me and my dad went down. And like I just fell in love because I thought it was the coolest thing. I wasn't flying. I flew in a Cherokee. I wouldn't even fly in a Cessna. So a Cherokee's a little bigger. Um, and the wings are located different. The wings are located where you have to, like, walk on the wings to get in the airplane. And a, a Cessna is, like, you have to, like, open the door and climb through. So that's how I started. And then when I turned 16, um, my mom got me for my sweet 16 was, like, flight lessons. How many girls can say that? Yeah. Their sweet 16 present How many guys can lessons? say that? It's yeah, not it's even just true. girls. It's how can, how can I mean, people, can anyone Any say that they've gotten year old, flight yeah. lessons? So I've been flying for a little over a year now. I fly at the Lehigh Valley International Airport. Um, when I got there, my, my idol's Murdoch from the A-team. So when I got wow. there and I said that, my flight instructor was like, we're not pulling any of these crazy stunts here. <laughs> and then there's a helicopter pilot because helicopter instructors and airplane instructors are very different. And he's like, we're getting you in, we're getting you in a helicopter. Let's go. So I went in one. That was a lot of work. A helicopter is a lot more work than airplane. Did you fly? So wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can fly a helicopter and an airplane. I'm not certified to fly a helicopter. But you have flown a helicopter. I have. Yeah, like tandem kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was on one side, he was on the other. It's kind of like driving in like a car with like the brakes are on the other side too. Gotcha. That's cool. Like a driver's ed car almost. 
had anybody in your family done this before, or did your grandmother just randomly see this at? So my grandpa flies model airplanes. So um, I don't know if you know of the Warboard War Birds of PA. No, I'm a boring person. I don't know anything <laughs> exciting like this. What it's is a, that? It's a club that my grandpa originated with for for our friends. They they used to fly all around. Um, it, they're not like actual. They're like little remote control ones. Mm-hmm. But they're um, World War Two, World War One. Like model airplanes and stuff like that, different like one six like different like one quarter models and stuff like that, one thirds or bigger. And he used to fly around there. And then my dad, when he was in high school, he tried flying and he was really good at flying. He wasn't really good at like um, the numbers part of the game because when you get an airplane, uh, you have to repeat to the the tower like what's the wind, the indicator, what runway you're on, which runway you're going, how long you're going to be in the air, what are you doing in the air, like say touch and goes touch and goes are me practicing landing so i'll do either a left hand or a right hand pattern depending on if there's traffic like really high valley international airport there's you know 737s and triple sevens and it's like like all these big airplanes that will create a wake so i don't know like a wake is kind of like if you imagine like sticking your finger through jello and you pull it out like that jello like your finger mark is still there so in order for me to have like a tiny little airplane I'd have to fly over where they landed because it disrupts the airflow of the airplane. That's interesting. It's so called like, physics. It, yeah, I don't know much I mean, about it's that. physics. That's we'll, all science. We'll yeah. leave it to the yeah, left brain guy. Yeah. Like air pockets and lots of turbulence. So you have to like pay attention to where your traffic's landing because if a bigger airplane before you lands, you have to fly over where they landed. And they usually land on like their like big white like rectangles. And it's like the thousand foot mark from the runway. So that's where they normally land. You mentioned your grandfather flying these old model planes, like World War II planes. Is he a veteran? Mm-mm, he's not. Anybody in your family have a military background? On my mom's side, on my mom's side, everybody, all the males have served. I'm not too positive on it. Me and my mom don't necessarily have the best relationship. But Are your parents divorced? Mm-hmm, they've been divorced since I was like 10. Gotcha. Um, I'm not sure I got this right, but... As a result of you flying planes, you also became a member of the Air Force? Kind of. It's a it's like a civilian branch. It's called the Civil Air Patrol. It's part of the United States Air Force, Air Force Auxiliary. Mm-hmm. So they will often do, um, like, rescue services. And, like, if, like, uh, hurricanes come in, we're kind of like an emergency service kind of thing in a way. Uh, it wasn't originally. It didn't originally orient from being like a civilian thing. In 1930s, it kind of like the late 1930s. That's when it kind of started, and then after World War II, some people that were CAP members uh, got. I think like 62 died in World War II, and they kind of like devoted it to be more of a civilian branch and not have them, in a sense, like on the front lines, but still supporting the Air Force. So it's like kind of oriented like. Anyone can join for the most part, and a lot of kids will join because um, if you get a certain award, because we do have rank systems, I do wear ABUs, I do have the responsibilities. If I do go out in public and stuff like that in a uniform, I have, like, be courteous and respectful and stuff like that. People don't necessarily understand that. Like, my name tapes, my name tapes are in blue. They're not in the digital camo that they have, so you can tell that I'm a different kind of, like, a little special thing because they're wearing the same uniform. You have such eclectic interests and life experiences. I'm very curious. What is your typical Friday or Saturday night? That really depends on, like, the season. 
So I, like I said, I'm into art and I consider photography very artful. So I have my own little photography business that I do on the side. So you tell us about drawing, but you're also a photographer. Yes. Um, so I have, like Facebook, Instagram, I have, like a little website that I have like devoted to photography. So if it's during the summer, Friday or Saturday nights are normally car shows. Me and my dad will bring like I'll bring a Mustang. He'll bring a Mustang. We'll go to car shows together and we'll take pictures or do burnouts and like fun stuff like that. Now that car show season's over, I usually work Friday or Saturdays, and if I'm not after work, I probably go to the garage with my buddies and pull a motor out of a car, or do something else. Do you ever do typical teenage stuff like watch TV or YouTube or play Fortnite? I mean, I would say that I watch YouTube, but usually when I watch YouTube, it's probably because I don't know how to do something. So, so you're learning. From so it. I like learn. I like I like learning if it interests me. So I like learning about cars often. Uh, my friend, he's into Subarus, and he's just got me into kind of, like, understanding Subarus a little bit more because they have horizontal cylinders instead of vertical cylinders. So I just found out, like, the oil will, like, sit there, and then it'll burn out. So it even says in, like, the owner manual, owner manual you'll go through, like, quarts of oil, but that's normal because of the horizontal cylinders. Wow. Yeah, all I know about Subarus, I don't know anything about cars, I don't, I is that, that they are, they're very reliable and they'll run a long time. Yeah. Except provided you put oil in them. Yeah. Apparently, extra oil. <laughs> you just need extra oil. Cool. So do you have specific plans for the future? I feel like you could go in, like, 12 different directions and be perfectly happy. What do you plan on doing? So I feel like a lot of the times people, once they go out of school, they just go to college and start working and stuff. And I feel like you were working for so long. Are you really enjoying it? So I want to do something that I kind of enjoy. I do like the photography aspect of that. Do I feel like I would make enough money? doing that it's kind of not because everybody has like a camera and stuff like that I'm also in like graphic design and art so I do enjoy that so I might go that route I was always like when I was really really young I always wanted to be like the person who designs like new cars that come out because they make like this giant model out of clay it's really cool to watch them and just like make a model and do sketches and go over like years of work to create generations of cars and like the simplest things about you know this car is losing weight to add weight to be like kind of like an engineer mechanical engineer but with the whimsy of a kid too like oh if i could build any car what would it look like yeah that's like so cool because i feel like people don't really think about that they're like oh like a new car comes out but you don't know where that picture oriented from it's very, it's a very creative thing that I feel like if you design like the next generation Mustang, like you have a lot riding on your career because if people don't like it, then there may not be another job for you well, to design another car. I'm sure, yeah. they've been missteps in the past, especially oh, sure. yeah, with the sports cars like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're keeping your options open. I think I that's like, great. I like having them very open minded. I like I like learning things that are very much more hands on than sitting in the classroom. Yeah, we won't take that personally. No, not at all. But I think you can relate to us a little bit more than you realize because, uh, you know, doing something you love that might not pay that well. Do you have any experience with that, Mr. House? <laughs> None at all. I, I kind of can't. Sounds vaguely sure, familiar. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. But, wow, that is a lot to digest, Hunter. We really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. I love the conversational tone of that one. I feel like Hunter could have kept telling us stories all day. Yeah, and, and each one more interesting than the last. Absolutely. So now we'll go from someone who would kill the deer to someone who would, could probably cook it up and make a really great meal. I would say she definitely could. Uh, we learned a lot about this person as well. We're moving on to an interview with Mrs. Wall, the family consumer science teacher. Here's what she served up in that interview. Well, for our listeners who may not know who you are, 
introduce yourself and tell us what you teach at the high school, Mrs. Wall. So I am the family and consumer science teacher. I work with Mr. Zacker. I teach multicultural foods, nutrition, the family and consumer science class, which is very lovingly referred to as FAM CAM, which makes no sense because it's F-A-M. It should be FAM CON. Yeah, but that doesn't have a a nice ring to it. Doesn't have that same ring. Um, I teach parenting. I teach clothing concepts. You know, a little bit of everything, depending on what the students are interested in taking that year. If our listeners are curious, by the way, all the sounds in the background, we are in the fam cam room. Or maybe maybe we should... You know what? I'm I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm calling it FamCon. 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 So kind of like ComCon. You know, it's got Com-Con. a little... Yeah. But then it sounds like we're going to try to con families into doing things. <laughs> yeah. FamCon. Either way, we are in the FamCon, FamCam room, whatever you want to call it. So we got dishwashers. Uh, we've got clothes being washed behind us. There might be coffee percolating. Things are running. So that's what you're hearing. Uh, so you mentioned you are the, <laughs> the fam cam teacher, <laughs> fam con teacher. Uh, but when I hear that you're the cooking teacher, I think of home ec when I was in middle school and high school, which was you'd go in, you'd learn to cook, you'd learn to clean, you'd learn to sew. How would you say that model has changed in the years since I was in school? Well, I mean, it's evolved so much just since the beginning of it all. You know, in the 1950s, it was taught as a class to, you know, teach you how to be a good wife. Only women took it. And, um, you know, there's pages in textbooks that if you look back, say things like, you know, prepare yourself 15 minutes before your husband gets home and freshen up and (laughs) put on a new layer of makeup and hide the kids because when he gets home, he's not going to want to be stressed, Uh, make sure dinner's on the table, you know. Incur- make the night about him. Oh, this is real. This is real stuff. You can look it up. Well, I know this is real. That's yeah. what Mr. Hout goes home to every so month. Yeah, right. Yeah, this right. is where we started. It's actually the opposite of that, I think. <laughs> oh, you have the apron on? I have the apron on. on. That's you right. hide the kids. <laughs> Don't want to stress her out. This is where it started, and now we're you know having virtual online restaurants, and kids are designing apps and parenting. So there's a whole lot that's happened in the middle there. Um, you know, when I was in high school in the 90s, um, it was, I wasn't in high school. Yeah, I was in high school in the 90s. You can yeah, call we were, I think we're all contemporary. We, all we were in high school I in the 90s. I was right? in high school in the 90s. So that's okay. Yeah. They're yeah. doing math right now in their head. What year did you graduate high school? 2001. Oh. Oh. Younger than us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so you were in high school in the 90s. That's good. It was a lot of just, you know, cooking, cleaning, ironing. Um, we were starting to move towards more of, like, the fashion design, maybe a little bit more career readiness. Um, but it's really evolved. So then really the change has happened in the last five, five to ten years. And I think it depends on who's teaching it. I, I think it has a lot to do with how, you know, future forward, let's say, the teacher, the teacher is. Well, that's interesting to observe. Uh, not that our curriculum was stuck in the 1950s, like you describe it, but you did take over for a teacher who retired after like 37 years. So I'd imagine there was a fair amount of updating. How much of that did you keep, and how much of this was just all yours? So when I got here and I was given the classes that I was teaching, I was given names of courses. So I just assumed that there were binders and textbooks and things that I could use. Um, it turns out I had to reference the course selection books that the guidance counselors use when you pick classes. That was what I had to go off of. That was your binder. Far of, that was my binder. For 180 of days of teaching. Yes. 
Um, so, I, the, Mrs. Gross, who was here before me, she said that a new teacher coming in is not going to want all of that stuff. So she really had the idea of, you know, being a brand new person, clean slate, kind of starting over. And I saw that as an awesome opportunity to make the classes exactly what I would want to teach, exactly what I would want to have if I was a student in high school and what I think they need. Um, You know, when we were in high school, the average age for getting married was like 23 in the 90s. And it is currently like right around 27, 29. So kids are, you know, people are living on their own independently a whole lot longer than they ever were before. You know, when we were in high school, people were partnering up and living together a lot earlier. So everybody needs these skills. Tell us about some of that awesome stuff that you brought in. Uh, I, I like when the emails start coming out with the virtual restaurants the students that's, are doing. That's pretty coming. cool. Was that I all you did? Come today. up with that on your own? Yes. Um, I just sort of always had this vision of the class being very interactive and very future forward. And I came from a position, I was a tech teacher actually, before I came here. I taught computers to fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And uh, that was not necessarily a placement that I asked to be in. Oh, that's always fun. (laughs) But it was one of those situations where I learned so many things and I knew it was never going to be my forever job. But I took so much of what I learned there and I was able to bring it here. So I had all these skills and stuff that I knew from that position and I was able to incorporate it. So I knew how to make websites and I thought, how can we incorporate that into this and sort of connect the dots with teachers and students and this curriculum because really these are the type of classes that a lot of times the school doesn't really know what's happening or students unless you're interested in a particular field you don't take these classes but oftentimes the related arts like as long as there are no fires or fights going on we just kind of trust that that's taking care of mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. so this stuff kind of like yeah. recess like high school recess it's like I high mean, school recess I really love <laughs> The, the, the restaurant that you do run because I think it is teaching more than just the cooking part. I mean, the cooking part is a huge piece to that. Like, it is when you go to a restaurant, but a restaurant is more than just the quality of food that someone puts in front of you. Because if you have a bad experience or if the manager is bad at handling money and all of those other pieces, I think, are really a, a great part of that project that, that you incorporate. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I love that it forces kids to reach out to their teachers and kind of get to know them on a little bit of a different level. They're, that's the hardest thing for all of the kids is to draft an email that they're sending to a teacher to ask them to order food from them. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You ever talk to a millennial? They're like, um, <laughs> not really good face-to-face communication. <laughs> Can we, like, skip that part? It's another thing I love about my classes during labs. If they touch their phones, they lose two points every single time. Good Lord. So, that's amazing. Why are we not all doing that? And they can't have it from the second that they wash their hands until they're completely done and I inspect their kitchen. So that means that they actually have to consume the food that they've created at a table looking into each other's eyes. It's amazing. I Sometimes like they talk. I have a group that, like, plays games and they have to, like, um, you know, uncle, your sinus is under the umbrella. Like, they have this, these games where they have to kind of come up with Alliteration, like that, I guess that's it a is. little. That's Listen. a little peek into what mealtime at their family's <laughs> houses are like. But they actually, you know, stuff. are interacting and, and doing like cool things together. Yeah, They're communicating like human beings, yes, which is awesome. something that you know, as we've pushed more and more technology, which is good. You couldn't do the virtual restaurant without the websites they're building, but we've pushed that so hard. We don't emphasize actual human communication anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So I like to hear that you're getting back to that. It's something I'm trying to reemphasize in my classes. Help just gives them homework and What's has math? them put it on the board. Yeah. And I have now. them all wait until the chef is done cooking and everyone sits down and eats together like a big happy family. They roll their eyes at first, but, you know, they're starting to to grow on them. Life skills. They don't know how to go on a date, (laughs) right? Their dates are all on their devices. You don't date real people. You just find people on Fortnite, your Fortnite friends. Fortnite dances. Yeah. Those are your Fortnite buddies. Right now, right now, Mr. Castagna is doing his own version of a Fortnite dance. I'm actually Googling Fortnite because I really don't (laughs) understand. There was a Saturday Night Live skit about it. Orange Justice. Look at that. That's my My daughter was doing Orange Justice. She told us Orange Justice is not allowed in school anymore because it's a Fortnite dance. Not that she plays Fortnite, but she knows it from watching. They know the dances. Kids. My kids can't play Fortnite; they're the not dances. allowed either. But they know the dances because they can YouTube just the dances, so no one's. We watched a 12-minute clip of Fortnite dances mm-hmm. yesterday because my daughter wanted to show us the dances that she's learned from her friends. Yeah. What a tangent! Seriously. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Where do you want to go with this? I was going to say so. Um, Kind of a spinoff, I think, a little bit of your restaurant project is the coffee shop that you now That's run. That's where I was going to go. Down in the coffee. Well played. Down in, down, that you now run down in the cafeteria. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So this was an idea that I had for a class, actually. I knew other districts ran coffee shops, and I thought it was a very cool, you know, kind of for the atmosphere, for it to be a more student-centered place um, to have. So I thought about running it through one of my classes, sort of like I do the restaurant project. So I went in to talk with Mrs. Gariello over the summer, and she, I had it on my list of things to talk about, and she brought it up to me, and it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I was just going to say the same thing. You know, we were totally on the same page, um, and we kind of decided that it would only be allowed to run before school due to all kinds of different rules and regulations that we have to follow. So we had started last year a club called Baking a Difference, where during the holidays, we did kind of like catering for staff members for their Thanksgiving pies and holiday cookies and all these different things that staff could order through the club. Um, And we raised through that $900 that we were able to give as gift cards to families in the community that, you know, needed money for Christmas gifts or Christmas dinner um, or holiday, you know, any kind of holiday items. So we decided that that would be sort of the best vessel for this coffee shop to run. And um, I have a really great staff. Emma Palmieri and Tessa McNulty are the co-presidents of the club, and they were on board. They're here just about every single morning at 10 after 7, helping me get the coffee shop going and up and running. And we've had generous donations from Sam's Club just about every Tuesday. Tessa um, was able to bring in so many different types of baked goods from Sam's Club that we're able to sell. And, um, you know, with no overhead, it's... It's just awesome. We've already raised almost $600 just in the first month of school. So the coffee shop is part of Baking a Difference, and it's for a good cause. Yes, yes. All the money that we raise stays directly in the community. Um, I don't know how well advertised that's been, yeah, or maybe so, I'm just I busy just... and don't pay attention to the announcements, <laughs> but that is news to me. So that's fantastic. So when, when they're drinking coffee and they're buying their baked goods, they're... Making a difference. Yes. So we have a bunch of different ideas for projects that we're going to do with the money. First and foremost, we want to save up as much as we can for the holiday time and um, give back to families in need in the form of gift cards or whatever it is they need. Um, It's also going to go towards, let's say there's a family in the community who loses everything in a fire. We'll be able to step in and and make a donation. Um, If there's a field trip coming up and someone can't afford it for 
any area, you know, we can take that money out of there and support the students that way. So we really have just a whole bunch of different, you know, causes that that we're raising the money for. That's fantastic. Yeah. And on top of all of that, you've got Mr. Faye playing guitar. It happened one time. Just one time. I really had this great vision of live music and... You know, but it was like this one time that Mrs. Markowitz and Mr. Faye showed up, and it was amazing. And then no one else Nobody signed else. up. I, you know, if anyone is interested in coming in and doing some live music, that would be great. Pretty sure Mr. Howe plays a mean clarinet. I, I do, however, that hasn't been played in public for a very long time. That's all time. right. Your <laughs> debut can be yeah. at the coffee shop. Yeah. Or live the on air. Do you have off. your clarinet with you right oh, now? I could dust it off. I can play a little <laughs> Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got all kinds of goals uh, for the fam cam track at Southern Lehigh. And, uh, and, and, and you've got these causes that you've contributed to as well. And you're a very goal-oriented person in your personal life as well. Correct? Yes. Like I... you've run... Eight marathons? Yeah, I was just looking. Half, I'm looking at the half, numbers. Half marathons. And so the four marathons, marathons then. Well, I guess if, if you, you do the I math. mean, not all at once. I think Mr. Howe, right? That's, yeah. That would be the math. That's exactly it. Yes. Um, I, I love setting a goal and that feeling of accomplishing it, whatever it is. You know, I love making lists and crossing things off on a small scale and on a bigger scale. I like just challenging myself and coming up with new things to try. Um, running was one of those things. After I had my third son, I kind of just decided I needed some sort of plan. That's called an escape. Yes. I needed to do something for myself and I needed to set a goal that I never thought was... I mean, I hated running. Oh, everybody hates running. I played sports in high school and running was only just because I had to or we were in trouble or, you know, we lost a game that we should have won. So running was never, you know, the end game for me. I would see the cross-country team run by and think, what is wrong? Like, where are they going? perfectly nice day. Why Why are they ruining this nice day? Why are they just... Where are they going? What are they... Why are they just doing that? So, um, you know, then I thought, well, what's something that I could do to challenge myself? I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. So up until that point, I had run, you know, in high school for sports, but not for any length of time, really. So it was March, and I hadn't run a mile, you know, since gym class. And I had signed up for this half marathon in September. So I just printed out a training program, and I loved checking off every single one of those training runs. It's just there's something so satisfying about seeing the progress and accomplishing that goal. I think the last time I saw you outside of here was probably last fall at the 5K at Butts Elementary. Yes, Nazareth yes. School System has a Butts Elementary. Recently changed from Bushkill, which yeah. makes, you know, it's Bushkill, Bushkill to Butts. Kind of makes sense. But, uh, yeah, you were there. I don't know that you ran it. I think your kids were running the, the kids' version, right? Yes, I've gotten my kids into running. Uh, it's just a great, you know, great sport. So uh, wrapping things up, is it true that you have no formal <laughs> cooking training? I heard this somewhere. Yes. That is true. So where'd you learn to cook? How'd you learn to do all these cool things? Uh, I've learned from, I come from a long line of really awesome, you know, home cooks. My great-grandmother was amazing. She was Pennsylvania Dutch, and her recipes, I still have them. They're very specific, things like a handful of flour, a pinch of this. Um, So really, it's just been these great experiences I had as a kid. I remember pushing my chair up right next to my mom and grandma my whole life and, and just learning all of these things. And I really think that learning it that way is a huge benefit to myself and to the class because uh, for me it was an experience. It wasn't about 
reading the recipe and completing, you know, completing the recipe. It's the whole experience that goes into cooking, and it's about working together and, and sharing these experiences with other people. Um, my, edu- my background's in education. My undergrad was elementary K-6. I went to college thinking I was going to be a kindergarten teacher, and I've just kind of changed that path several times throughout my career, and, you know, I think teaching is such an art that once you have that and you're able to make connections with people and you're able to break things down and make people understand what you're teaching is really secondary to that. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way, um, but that feels right, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, if I was asked to teach physics, <laughs> that might be the exception. Um, I would have to do a lot of studying. But I think overall, you know, once you can teach what you have, what, what the content is kind of falls into place. You have three boys, right? So do you cook with your children at home? Oh, absolutely. My boys are very independent in the kitchen. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day. They were saying, oh, all I do is make breakfast and I clean up breakfast and I make lunch and I clean up lunch. And I was like, wait a minute, how old are your kids? My kids are 10, 8, and 5. And they're like, mom, when's lunch? I'm like, whatever you want. You hungry? Help yourself. You know, my five-year-old can make his peanut butter and jellies. My 10-year-old makes eggs and grilled cheese and all kinds of different stuff. They're, they're very comfortable in the kitchen just because they've had those experiences all, all the way through since they were little. So you're passing that experience down to the next generation. I, and you're I, doing it here, too. I, I Because they, they so. put the phones away, and they have to work together, and they have to communicate, and they have to share a meal face-to-face. That's great. I and I hope they're, like, feeling the love, you know? It's all about the experience. I, I, I hope that they are getting out of it kind of what I did having those experiences growing up. I think Mr. Halp has an experience for you. Go ahead. I, so I wanted to do something different. So we, we've kind of, at the end of every interview, we, we kind of try to throw something at our, at our guests that they're not quite expecting. <laughs> so it's really quick. You can explain. You cannot explain. But it's a would-you-rather. So, would you rather your food always be too cold or a little too hot? Too hot. Okay. Do we want to unpack that at all? Uh, Safety, food safety, sanitation. I just, you know, kill all that bacteria. Would you rather always have a mouthful of marshmallows or always have grapes in your shoes? Mm, Mouthful of marshmallows. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Really because you could say, really tough. but think about all the things that you could say, and no one would really know. I like that. I like that. <laughs> that. That would be the perfect time to tell everybody exactly what you're thinking. It's a brilliant spin on that question. <laughs> and, and these are all food related. I don't know if you caught that or not. Oh, that's your that's theme. That I never would have noticed. Why'd you pick that one? <laughs> uh, and last one. Would you rather replace your toothpaste with hot sauce or replace your shampoo with salsa. Toothpaste <laughs> <laughs> with, with hot sauce. Yeah. I would not want, like, um, chunks. Chunks of it's tomato. Chunks. Maybe if chunks. it was, like, the really, like, the picante, like, the real thin, okay. maybe I could do that, but... I think you'd really have to hate hot sauce to go with the salsa in the hair. That's, that's tough, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for spending an afternoon with us, Mrs. Wall. It has been all kinds of informative. <laughs> I, yes, thank you very much for spending time with us. We have enjoyed this coffee. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Don't forget to hit us up on social media. And if you know the answer to the trivia question that was embedded somewhere in the middle of that episode, slspartan at slsd.org. And don't forget, you must be the first one to get the answer to us. And now, if you'll allow me, Mr. Haub, just a little public service announcement. This seems to happen every school year about eight weeks in. Everybody starts to get tired. Everybody starts to get cranky. And what I've noticed in the past few years is we kind of have forgotten that that's just a natural part of the process. All too often, I'm hearing words like anxiety and depression being used to describe what nine times out of ten is merely just stress and exhaustion. And I don't mean to trivialize serious mental health issues. Really what I'm trying to say is in most cases, you are feeling what everybody else is feeling. And that includes us too as teachers. Absolutely, especially with teachers. Been kind, I don't want to use the word negative because it hasn't been negative, but people have been more tense as of late and I've noticed it maybe more with the faculty than with the students. I think we're just tired. That's I, it. I mean, I could use a nap right, right now. now. And I think you all should enjoy one as well. We'll see you next time, gang. So you heard Mr. Ware, get out there, buy your tickets for a brave new world. No. So you heard Mr. Ware, get out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>